Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm so thankful that uh, God has brought us here for another beautiful day and has given us another you know, gorgeous day outside. And happy Father's Day, by the way, before I forget to tell all my fathers out there that are listening to this message. Here in America, anyway, it's Father's Day. So if you're in America, or even if you're not, happy Father's Day. It's hard being a father. Must be hard to be God the Father. Somebody else said the some somebody said to me the other day, you know, God shouldn't have any pain or any suffering because He's God, you know, and He doesn't choose to have it. But I said, well, the Bible actually says that God is, uh, He does, He is in pain. He's in pain over the sin of this world, and He's in pain over those that reject Him. And actually, God feels the same hurt that we do, uh, for we were created in His image. You know, in case you you know didn't know that, I'm sure you might though. Anyway, welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. This is one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would join me, please, and let's pray to the Lord and ask Him to help us understand His Word and help us to soak it in, and, and not just to hear the Word of the Lord today, but let's ask God and let's earnestly desire in our hearts that the Word of God change us today. That, that we respond to the Word of God and we do what God's Word says to do. And we don't just do the things we want to do, but we do the things that God wants us to do. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and for your mercy and for your grace, Lord. Uh, for those of us that are yours out there, Lord, I do pray that we would respond to your Word today and that you would help us, Lord God, to live our lives as, a, as holy, living sacrifices, Lord God, for you. Lord, that we would go out there, and like when I used to play football, Lord, the coaches would always say before we go out in the, on, the, on the field, they'd always say, give us 110%. Lord, I, I pray that we would give 110, even 120%, meaning the signification of all of ourselves, Lord God, to the service of you reaching others and, and loving you and living like we love you, Lord, and loving one another, Lord. Help us, Lord, to give our, all of ourselves to you, Lord, and help us to live our lives as you say that you want us to live our lives, Lord, a hundred percent of the time and a hundred percent of all the ways you want us to. Thank you so much, Lord God. We ask that you would help those that are lost to respond to this message too, Lord. And, and help them come to you, Lord, in a way that they never have, Lord, and to be saved. We thank you and we love you and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So today we're going to be back to normal, back in Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 8 through 10. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 19, excuse me. We're not going backwards, we're going forwards, right? Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. I'll give you a moment to open your Bibles. It's been a little bit since we've been there. We took a detour last week and looked at some amazing, justifiable, reliable, and provable proofs of the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ actually being the one and true God of all the universe. Um, our topic or title today for today's sermon is Godly Tactics. Again, our topic and title of our scripture today, our sermon, is Godly Tactics. As you already, those of you online already saw that, but those in my home, 
Welcome, and that's our title for our sermon. So let's read Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10, and let's see what God has to say to us today. The Bible says this. We kind of pick up in the middle of a, of a kind of a biblical thought, So, but, but our last week and this week don't really mesh as far as meaning-wise. They, Paul is still in Ephesus, but it's a whole new kind of thought here. Acts 19, 8 through 10. And he, Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, or Tyrannus, and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now it's been three weeks since we've been last in Acts chapter 19. The last sermon that we studied in Acts 19 was uh, over verses 1 through 7. The title of that sermon was The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was so titled because of the tremendous confusion in our day today, even in their day and age, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which those who turn to Jesus Christ receive. Remember that baptism of the Holy Spirit is one that comes in two parts. One that God gives to the new convert, uh, where the Holy Spirit comes inside of you when you first turn to God and he makes you born again. But then that second baptism comes as a result of you seeking God's face and desiring to obey him. And then he grants you a second baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to give you the power, his power, in order to do the works that he had called you to, that he prepared you for beforehand, as Ephesians tells us. In Acts 9, 1 through 7, Paul helps those, remember, about 12 disciples of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. That's where he was then, and that's where we still are today. He helps them receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to have God's power to do the works. And after he does, uh, that gets us up to speed of where we left off in Acts 9 last week, or two weeks ago. Today, we totally switch gears as the scripture does. After he helps them receive this second baptism of the Holy Spirit, he, verse 8, read it again, please. He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Right? Paul, still in Ephesus, after he meets the, about 12 disciples and finally goes back into the synagogue in that town to talk with the Jews. Remember the last time he was in Ephesus and in this Ephesian synagogue, Acts 18, 18 through 21, he was proving Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah or Savior of the world, just like I did to you last week. And the Jews there were interested in his message about Jesus Christ, and they actually asked him to stay. Hey, will you stay longer? But, sadly, uh, because of the dangerous vow that he took to keep some Jewish feast in Jerusalem, he couldn't stay and help them come to know Jesus Christ. Praise God. Uh, although Paul fails to help them, he calls Apollos, remember, God's... Uh, carbon copy. He calls Apollos there to finish the job with those seekers. God probably then, after converting many of the Jews with uh, the persuasive words of Apollos, spoke to them about Jesus Christ. And in today's setting, I'm guessing we must have a whole new group of Jews, Gentiles, that God sends Paul to, to this synagogue, to talk to about the things of God as that verse just said. Verse 8, verse eight just told us that he goes back into the synagogue for three months Think of it, three whole months, that would be at least four Sundays, or, or excuse me, four Sabbaths or Saturdays, four Saturdays every single month. So that would have been at least 12 times that he kept going back, and that would have been minus the times that he might have gone in 
Maybe they had a midweek service, kind of like a lot of churches do now. But anyway, he goes there for three whole months, reasoning and persuading. So what does that, what does that mean? That means he was persuasively proving the things of the kingdom of God to them, along with preaching Jesus Christ, I believe, and how he fit into God's kingdom and how he fits, of course, into our lives and what he means to us today. Uh, Jesus Christ was most definitely part of Paul's major discussion with them, and our section of Scripture actually shows us this very clearly in the first part of verse 9. Look at verse 9, that first part there. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way. Right? What, What is that? The way. That was what Christianity used to be called in the early days before we got the name Christians, right? But they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. Well, the way that this verse spoke of, that the Jews were hardened towards and didn't believe in, was what early opponents of the Christian faith called the following of Jesus Christ. For you see, someone can't be hardened against and not believe in the way unless Jesus Christ is preached as its leader, right? I mean, who was the leader of the way? It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Silas. It wasn't Timothy. It it wasn't Peter. It was Jesus Christ. He was the founder of the way, which means that Paul was preaching the way, the truth, and the life. Hence, probably that's why the way got its name, because Jesus Christ was the way and the truth and the life. And the Jews in the synagogue didn't want any part of him and spoke against his religion and his followers, Paul being a chief in that category. Paul was all about getting people saved. And Jesus Christ is the one and only one, according to the Bible and according to the proofs that we spoke about last week, he was the one and only one that can save people's souls from sin and hellfire. And Paul was about all about, I should say, he was all about telling people about him and helping people get saved. But God shows me very something very interesting here in our first and second verses and what Paul does with these Jews here. What was it? What has God shown me? Paul persuasively proved the things of the kingdom of God to them, and Jesus Christ was part of that discussion, kind of thrown in on the side, kind of thrown in in the mix of the kingdom of God preaching, meaning Paul was there, as the scripture said, verse 8, to preach the things of the kingdom of God. And so if you just took that verse, you would say, hey, Paul was there just preaching the things of the kingdom of God, which means he used their Old Testament Tanakh. That's what we call the Old Testament today in the Christian Bible. That was the Jewish book, the Tanakh, because they didn't have the New Testament in that time. And he was preaching the things of the kingdom of God, uh, you know, God and all his righteousness. And remember, he was a Pharisee. And so Pharisees believed one way and Sadducees believed another way. And so Paul was a, was a very good teacher of the word of God. So Paul was there teaching them, as they would, you would expect, the word of God. But what I see him doing there is, again, they get hardened because of the way. Well, then he had to be throwing Jesus Christ in there. So what do I see Paul doing here? I see Paul using as a tactic his teaching of the kingdom of God in heaven to them to make an avenue or door 
to also then bring Jesus Christ to them. Scripture tells us that Paul was a Pharisee, as I already mentioned, before his conversion, that hey, he stayed a Pharisee after his conversion to Christ. Acts 23.6 tells us that he was still a Pharisee. Acts 23.6 is kind of toward the end of the book, which meant that he would have been he would have had a warm welcome to any Jewish, to any Jews in any Jewish synagogue that would have been, hey, hey, we got a Pharisee coming to teach today. Hey, let him in. Pharisees knew a lot about the Word of God. Hey, we want to hear what the Pharisee has to say about the Word of God. So he used his warm welcome, this, this in that he had, being a Pharisee, to teach the Bible. But then as he was teaching the Bible, he used the tactic of, hey, I'm already teaching the Bible. Hey, well, let me show you Jesus Christ from your Jewish Bible. He kind of used his in. That was a tactic. That was a godly tactic on how to preach Jesus Christ through a godly forum or a godly avenue or a godly tactic to kind of represent, you know, present Jesus Christ in a non, uh, like, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ today kind of way, right? That's why I see him here using his status as a Pharisee to come welcomed into the synagogue, to teach the Bible as a Pharisee, but then using the avenue as a tactic to teach Jesus Christ. Tactics to preach Jesus Christ are good ways to ease into telling others about Christ. What do I mean? I mean, as I kind of just alluded to, you have many methods of sharing Jesus Christ with people. You have the, the method of personal uh, personal kind of, uh, you're, you're already friends with somebody and you're, you're, you know, your friendship and you work together or something. And then, you know, you kind of, as you're sitting there over dinner or over lunch one day in the break room, you're like, Hey man, well, I'm a Christian, you know, what about you? And you kind of just bring it up. And then it's not a really hardcore, like I used to be a street evangelist. Okay. So God, God would have me go out in the streets and I'd walk up to people. I'd be like, Hey man, you know, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ today? You know, and then people would either say yes or no. So that, that's kind of like a hardcore way to introduce Jesus Christ. Or then there's the godly tactics that Paul used here where I'm going to give you some examples where he was there doing one thing, a godly thing, teaching the Bible, but then he used that just teaching their Bible, their Jewish Bible, coming from a Jewish perspective and saying, hey, what about, you know, by the way, look at these things here. You know, I could see Paul doing it, going through the Jewish Bible and bringing up the things of the kingdom of God and the things of the kingdom of heaven. And he'd be like, oh, hey, look at this one. Hey, guys, here, what about this Isaiah 53? Who do you think this is talking to, talking about? You know, oh, he was this and he was that. And in Psalm 22, the same scriptures that we looked at last week. Really easy. Most people don't realize, but Jesus Christ was taught just as much in the Old Testament as he was in the New Testament. In fact, it's because of the Old Testament that we know about the you know prophecies of him coming and so on and so forth. So it's really easy to do, but Paul used a godly tactic to do it. Tactics that I've used, tactics that you may want to use to share Jesus Christ with others, as Paul did. Uh, you meet someone, and let's say, you know, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, you're walking into the grocery store, or you're walking up from, you know, going to the movies or something. Oh, hey, man, what's going on? You know, if, if you're an outgoing person, as I tend to be, and, and they say, oh, well, you know, my, my name is David, or oh, I'm Samuel, or, uh, you know, my name's Paul. Well, then easily, what, what do you see there? What, what tactic can you use to share Jesus Christ there? Well, if their name is David, uh, hey, be like, hey, man, how's it going, David? How's Saul today? Or how about Jonathan? How, how, how are those guys doing today? And usually you get the response like I usually do. Uh, 
what? Who, how, how, how's who? I said, oh, your name is David. And you see, in the Bible, he was the godly king of Israel that, you know, was the, first, that was the second king of Israel, but he was God's chosen guy. And, and he had these, you know, this other guy, Saul, it was having, do you see where that's leading? Uh, Saul, David, then Saul, then Jonathan, and then you bring up the Bible. And then they get kind of, oh, they get kind of interested and they get kind of listening, oh, talking about the Bible. Well, then where do you jump next? Well, where did Paul jump? Paul jumped next, talking about the Bible. He, t- he jumped to who? He jumped to Jesus Christ, which was the way, the truth, and the life. So you see, uh, uh, one time at work, at one, one job, I was walking up and talking to this fellow, and I had, hadn't really talked to him before. And I said, hey, uh, hey how's it going? Said, hey, I'm, I'm Ed. What's your name? I'm Cornelius. What well, was the open door? I said, well, hey, man, nice to meet you, Cornelius, but how's Peter? How's Peter doing? Huh? What are you talking about? And then I opened the door to the Bible and the old Bible story about how Peter came to Cornelius and he was the Jew and the Gentile. And then guess where I went after that? I went right to Jesus Christ. See how that's a roundabout way to reach somebody when an opportunity arises uh, to use a godly tactic to present Jesus Christ to them just like Paul did here in Acts 8 and 9. Here's another one. Number two. While in conversation or starting a conversation with somebody, you randomly meet somebody like, you know, grocery store or, you know, and you're talking about things and then you could just be like, hey, man, you know, I just, isn't creation just amazing? Wow, look at, you know, the planets and how they're just divine and powerful. How the power that just keeps them all there? You know, what do you, what do you think about that? And then that gets their minds thinking and then you start to talk about the creator, the divine creator. This easily leads to topic about the Bible. And then once again, once you're in the Bible, you can jump to Jesus Christ again. Another godly tactic to help you get Jesus Christ to people in a non-aggressive, non-like way that's just going to immediately turn them away the moment you walk up and say, hey man, do you have time to talk about Jesus Christ today? Godly tactics are the alternative. Number three. While working with co-workers, you can season your speech by using God and Jesus Christ in the ways that he's helped you in your life. Example, what I mean, I, I was talking to a co-worker the other day about years ago, how I was in, you know, I was in my late, like late 20s and early 30s and so on and so forth, and how I left a physically demanding job, and, and I told him how I'd really abused my body by sports and the physically demanding job, and, and at that, I said, so thanks be to Jesus Christ, for now I'm 43, but I told him that I feel better physically today at 43 than I did when I was 20. And yeah, that is a miracle. That's not part of the sermon. But what I, I will say now is thanks be to God because he's, he's brought me some amazing healing to my body. And this is what I was telling this fellow. So, I mean, we, I didn't have to bring up Jesus Christ and how he you know, helped my body and why I left this other job. But you see, I seasoned my speech with how God's helped me, with the healing that God has given me. And so, again, it was there that I prepped for the discussion about the Bible and then on the discussion about Jesus Christ that we had later, which we had a very good discussion about Jesus Christ and about the Bible. Number four, God gave me this one years ago when somebody, you know how common this is in our country of America. I'm not sure how common it is in other countries, but you know, people walk up to you and just as a nonsense thing to say that because nobody really wants to know how you're doing, but people usually go here in America, hey, how's it going today? 
passing somebody at the grocery store. Oh, how are you today? Now, they really don't want to know how you're doing, but they just kind of say it just to be nice. Instead of just saying hello and goodbye, I guess people have thought, you know, well, if I say, hey, how are you doing? It makes you know, them think that I'm really concerned about them, even, even though they're not. But anyway, God used it to his glory for when people would say, well, hey, how's it going today, man? Or how you doing? I would say, hey, great, thanks to Jesus. That automatically lets them know that I'm not afraid of his name, that, that they're then, as they, they may say, what'd you say? Oh, I said, great, thanks to Jesus, because, you know, I love Jesus, and he saved me, and, you know, how about you? I mean, just, just things like that, right? Just things like that as godly tactics to help you bring up Jesus and spread the name of Jesus and the truths of Jesus Christ and his salvation to people in an everyday kind of social way and, and not in an evangelistic, uh, uh, super aggressive, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ today? Or if you died today, you know, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? Those are great responses too. And I've done those and I've used those. But again, for street evangelism. We're talking about today godly tactics that kind of go in a roundabout way. They, they present Jesus Christ to people in a roundabout way that are non-threatening to them. Uh, people don't... The flesh, I was just talking about this with my son the other day. The flesh, the, the human man, uh, immediately... What, is, what does John 1 say? That Jesus came and the, and, and the darkness did not comprehend the light. And then the darkness fled from the light. Well, that's still today. People that are in the darkness, which the majority of the world is, they run from the light. And so not that those straightforward methods of, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ today, aren't good, but they have their place. Or you'll find more opportunities for evangelism on an everyday basis when you're out just doing errands and when you're doing this or when you're doing that is to bring up and use godly tactics to kind of roundabout way get people into Jesus Christ and then like me, for example, when I was a young man, uh, I was a, a running from the light. You know, just like I'm sure most of you that are listening to me now, you were running from the light when you were young, if you're a truly saved person. So what, what would happen to me is my dad would always, you know, occasionally invite our, our cousin Joey over, who was, uh, you know, he was a heathen like I was, but he had been converted. So for years, he had become a Christian. He was a born-again Christian. Well, he would come over and of course, you know, the first time I didn't know, but then after the first time I kind of knew, but every time he'd come over, he'd always bring up the Bible. He'd always talk about the end times. That was his godly tactic at that time that God gave him, bring up revelation, bring up the word of the Lord, bring up the end times. And then as I knew he would come and he'd tell us about Jesus and my flesh wanted to run, my my physical man wanted to run away. I didn't want him to be there, but I kind of like, you know, he's still my cousin and, and, and I loved him and my dad was inviting him over. And so even though I didn't like it and I knew he was going to bring up Jesus, I would always find myself sitting there and as he'd ease into Jesus by a godly tactic of, well, you know, well, you know, we'd be just talking as a family and, and somebody would say something and something and hey, he'd steer the conversation. He'd steer the conversation toward the Bible. And he, he didn't deceive anybody. He just flat out did it, and we all knew what he was doing. But then, before you knew it, he's discussing biblical things, which then kind of like, you find interest. It's, it's interesting when people describe the Bible to you and talk about the Bible to you, if you don't know much about the Bible, that is. I find many times when I'm 
talking about the, the Bible, people are really captivated with the knowledge that I have of the Word of God and how it fits together and how this did this and how you know this person did that and how this means this and how this means that and given the stories of the Bible. But then, of course, he always rolled into from his talking about the Bible in the end times and revelations, he always rolled into Jesus Christ. So, and he did it in a roundabout way. And then by the, by the time he did it, I was kind of sucked in. I was interested. And then so I stayed listening. Now, that doesn't mean my flesh still didn't want to run away. But now that I was kind of sucked in and interested already because it was a Bible thing, and, and then, it, you know, he didn't do it to, to deceive us, I find my, found myself listening. And I count these today now that I'm saved, born again, love Jesus Christ. I count these as my very first seeds that I see that God wanted me, you know, wanted planted on my soil to prepare me for, you know, if I wanted to be saved, you know, so on and so forth. Not everyone you meet will be okay with you stepping right up to them and saying something like, where do you stand with Jesus Christ today? Or how are you today? Or uh, is Jesus Christ your Lord? And if you die, would you go to heaven? Again, I've used these statements, but not everybody's going to be okay with them. People have a tendency to run away from those hardcore direct approaches while they will stay and i've had a lot of success with the godly tactic of bringing up the bible bringing up a godly topic and then switching over to jesus christ there's good godly topics now or good godly tactics i should say and then there's bad ungodly tactics that people have used that i've come across that, that are not so good you know that peep ways in which people can feel deceived ways that i've seen people uh, be deceived some some years back here in dallas the super bowl was held here now i'm not into football so i didn't do the research and i don't really care what year that was but it's 2018 now so sometime maybe seven or eight years ago they held the super bowl and they had it at the stadium there the at&t stadium there in dallas well, we went down there to the west end of Dallas, and we, as a group, I was going out with a group at that time called Crisis Street Ministries, and during that time, we were going on, and that's when I would go out and, hey, man, you know, walk walk the streets every Friday night and be like, hey, you know, where do you, you know, what about Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ, or who's Jesus Christ to you, or a lot of great conversations, but there is when, at that time, I ran into an, one of the couple few that I ran into over the years, the ungodly bad tactics to talk to someone about Jesus Christ that people had used. So we would walk around and I met this one group and I was with a few people and we walked up and said, hey man, you know, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ tonight? And they kind of were like, well, yeah, but I I don't know. We already had, you know, one group talk to us. Are are they with you? And I was like, no. I said, I don't know. I mean, what did they look at? Well, they gave us this this paper here. And they gave me the paper and 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 the paper you open, you look at the paper and it said, "Who's gonna win the Super Bowl? Who won the Super Bowl in these years?" And you'd open it up, trivia: Who won the Super Bowl? Was it A, B, C? And it was all about the Super Bowl. It was all about football completely. And then I was like, "Well, no. What does this have to do?" Well, then they used this and they had us going answering trivia questions, and then they started talking to us about Jesus. Why well, so? Oh, I am really sorry about that because what happened there with those people is they got tricked. They, they got they got kind of suckered in, kind of how the, the same way you'd go to a carnival and they'd be like, "Oh, hey, here's a free ball. You know, throw the free ball and you know you'll win." Well, then when you know win, they go, "Oh, well, buy ten more." You know, they suckered you in to. <laughs> 
you didn't want to pay any money at that booth, but then they suckered you in and then they got you to do it. Well, that was kind of this ungodly tactic was that these people were given this trivia and then they, they, they thought they were being approached about football. That was the representation that those people gave those that group when they first walked up to them. Well, if you're talking to somebody about Jesus Christ, you don't start off with football. Now, now the, the only way you could do that would be like if somebody said something to you about football and you're like, well, yeah, I don't really watch football. You know, years ago I got saved and I see the sport as kind of an, an adultery. See, I didn't come to them with the ulterior motive of, I'm going to get to them for Jesus Christ, but then I'm going to use football as that avenue to do that. Football is not a godly tactic to use to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. It just misleads them. And I do not recommend this method as it is really trickery. And trickery is getting someone to talk to you about Jesus Christ in an un, you know, for an ungodly thing. And then you turn it to a godly thing and the people are like, what? Once you fool them with this trickery and then bring Jesus Christ into it, they, they can really get angry, but they realize what you did and they won't trust you. See, if you're going to have to bring something in deception and slide it in using an ungodly kind of or a non-godly idea or avenue or tactic, and then you swing Jesus Christ on them, you're not preparing them for a, a Jesus Christ conversation. You're preparing them to talk about the world. Then when you switch over to Jesus Christ, man, that makes the flesh angry. Well, I didn't want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. I thought you were talking to me about the Super Bowl and about football. And they can probably get super offended, as I've seen people do, and turn off to God and Christ altogether because they realize you deceive them. Christians don't practice this with people. I've seen people do it. They had a, a board. One time we were going out to a place in the Dallas area where they had like a big board and they were asking people questions and asking people, you know, hey, give us this answer and we'll give you a dollar. If you get the right answer, we'll give you a dollar. And, and, and you know, the questions were like, you know, who was the president of the United States of America in, you know, so on and so on. And, and people were, oh, that dude wants money. So people were walking, oh, uh, 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 George W. Bush, uh, you know, Obama, you know, whatever, oh, dollar, here's, here's a dollar, here's a, all right, who was the savior of the world? Oh, man, I was here, and I just wanted to be in a trivia contest, this guy wasn't talking about Jesus Christ, I don't want this, and literally, <laughs> as I was standing there watching these people do this, as soon as the board went over, this guy's whiteboard, as soon as it went over to Jesus Christ, the people just flooded away and they were all, do you see why this is not a godly tactic to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ? You're going to lead up to Jesus Christ. You got to start with the divine or the Bible or something godly and then roll into more Bible things and then more things about Jesus Christ. You don't want to make people angry and you don't want to deceive them to get them to talk to you about Jesus Christ because then God's not about deception. He's about truth. Getting back to our section of scripture and finishing up the point I was just making, will people always repent and believe in Jesus Christ just because you use a godly tactic? Will they always respond well always even though it's a good slider in way that's not deceptive it's a godly thing will they always will sadly look at the last part of verse 19 sadly no remember what the first part said again but but when some of them were hardened and did not believe but spoke evil of the way before the multitude they had deemed the christian faith that was set up by jesus christ the way the truth and the life 
and they were totally against Paul and all those that were propagating it. What was Paul's response to their attitude towards Jesus Christ in the way that he had set up before he had departed for heaven? Look at the rest of verse 9. He, Paul, departed from them and withdrew the disciples, so those that were with him, uh, those who were preaching Jesus Christ and the gospel with him, Luke and, and Timothy and Silas maybe, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. He shook the dust off his feet towards the Jews that rejected him, as Jesus Christ told his disciples to do when people rejected them. And he moved on to go to the Gentile peoples in the school of Tyrannus. That was a Greek Gentile school. And he reasoned daily to them or provide or, or proving Jesus Christ to them daily from the prophecies of God's word, the Tanakh or the Old Testament, and Jesus' life of the fulfillment of those prophecies. Remember what the Bible says, Galatians 2.8, where Paul told us in his ministry that he was super successful to the Gentiles while Peter was super successful to the Jews. Well, here we go. Paul had super success to the Gentiles in this ministry to the school of Tyrannus, uh, and, and where he didn't have super success with the Jews that he had just preached to, that they rejected him, and basically, you know, he left them. And he goes to this Gentile school, and they permit him, think of it, they permit him to teach in that school for, was it two years or three years? It was either two or three years that he was allowed to teach there and he was allowed to preach Jesus Christ there to Gentiles, to Greek Gentiles in Ephesus. I mean, that's just, that's just incredible. Oh, how long did the Greeks allow this Jewish man to teach and prove Jesus Christ to them in this Gentile school? Our last verse, and this he continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Jews. And Greeks. Again, Paul's word to the Galatian church in Galatians 2 8. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Christians, Jesus Christ told his followers that we're supposed to preach Jesus Christ to people. Mark 16 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul was a master at preaching Jesus Christ in the gospel. And he did it relentlessly because he loved people and wanted them to be saved. So relentlessly, so passionately, so diligently, because of his love, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. Meaning that I didn't go to the, to the lost and unsaved and commit the, the, the practice of sin as they did, but I was without law in like... I'll explain that later, but I just want you to understand, right there he tells us that he didn't go to the sinners that were lost in their sin to sin the ways that they were sinning and practice the sin that they practiced. He just was telling us that he wanted to make that aside, so we didn't think that we could do that too. I've heard people before, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I went into the strip club and I witnessed to the girls that were on the poles, and this was a guy. Yeah, no, that's not what Paul did, and that's not what you should do either. But he said, 
21, to those who are without the laws, without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. And to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. He would become as, again, not a sinner, practicing sinner, to reach the lost sinners. He would become or come alongside sinners in their professions. What do we see him do? In their synagogues. You see in the, gospel, in the book of Acts, excuse me, not the gospel of Acts, but the book of Acts, we see what Paul meant by that. What he meant by, as I become all things to all men, what did he do when he was propagating the gospel? He would go, well, for instance, he went to the synagogue. In our section of scripture today, he would also be in their marketplaces. In Athens, he went to the Areopagus. And so what do we see him doing? We see him coming alongside the sinners in the avenues in which they were kind of doing their everyday business. And they went into and he went into them and he went up to them in their meeting places to those who were lost to reach them. And we and he and what we see is, as we saw with what he did today, he used godly tactics to reach out to and slip his Jesus Christ into the conversations that he would have with others. Those tactics, including go where the lost were, becoming as the sinners were in the synagogues filled with the lost Jews, and while they're speaking and teaching the Word of God, the Old Testament Word of God, the, the Tanakh, slipping Jesus Christ into his teaching to incorporate God's Messiah to his listeners. As I said today, the way we do this now we bring up godly topics from the Bible, or we comment on God's creation to those who we may meet on our everyday life, you know, on our everyday earthly life. Hey, isn't, you know, the, uh, isn't this creation so amazing? And doesn't it just show you that, you know, God created everything and there's a creator, you know? We, we can season our speech with Jesus Christ and, and how he's blessed our lives. Also saying, as God gave me years ago, hey, I'm doing great thanks to Jesus when asked how you're doing. And so no deception, godly tactics, right? And when people are engaged in your Bible godly topic or talk, if they get engaged in your Bible talk, which so many do, so many have for me, you bring Jesus Christ into the conversation and see where they're at with him. And this is simple stuff. We just got to be practicing it. We just have to have a passion for the loss. And I hope you do to live that kind of life, to be that city on the hill that Jesus Christ said that you as a Christian, as a true follower of Christ, were supposed to be. Do you know what you call this godly tactics, these godly tactics that I gave you today of sharing your faith with others? Do you know what you want to call that today? This is a tool in your tool belt for you serving God. God wants you to have lots of tools in order to share the gospel, in order to be the person that he's created you to be and the person, the works that he's called you to work for him. He, want, he wants you to have lots of tools in your tool belt to do this. And I've just given you a very successful, non-direct, subtle way, or, or, and I've given you many ways to share Jesus Christ with others that, again, in my life and the Lord have made for some very good, receptive conversations about Jesus Christ with others. So... Followers of Jesus Christ that are listening to me out there. The only question now that I have for you <clears throat> for, with your new godly tool in your tool belt today, will you squander it away or, and do nothing with it? Or will you start to use it and do the things that the Bible says that we're supposed to do and reach out to people with it and share Jesus Christ with people with it? 
Jesus Christ commanded his followers to reach out to those that are lost in sin. And these tactics are some great ways to do it. They're not the only ways, but they are some great ways to do those things. Get busy Christians. Sharing Jesus Christ is one of God's wills for your life. That's to those that would consider themselves born again, saved, your child of God. Switching gears completely on another topic that's been heavy on my heart this week. I need to ask, and I must ask, and I, I hope that you're receptive now that I've called you here and I'm sliding something in here about Jesus Christ. And I, 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 now that I've got your ear, I want to ask you, are you really truly a Christian? Are you really truly born again? Or do you just think you are? A growing pandemic in America is the sad fulfillment of a prophecy that Jesus Christ gave in Matthew 7, 21 through 24. This is a prophecy God showed me just not too long ago. Jesus Christ was calling it out. And he says this in Matthew 7, 21 through 24. And listen to this very carefully. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, who calls Jesus Lord? Only those that are Christians or think that they're Christians, right? A Muslim doesn't call Jesus Lord. A Buddhist doesn't call Jesus Lord. An atheist doesn't call Jesus Lord. Only someone that's either a Christian, a true Christian, a true born-again Christian, or someone that thinks that they're a born-again true Christian. So he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, so those that either think that they're Christians or, or really are, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. That's why I said what I just said. Only those that call Jesus Lord are those that really are truly saved or those that are think that they're truly saved. Well, what do we call that? If we, if we think that, because Jesus is speaking to the people here that think that they're really Christians, but they're not. Because he, he says, not everyone who, who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's called deception. They think that they're one thing, but they're really not, and Jesus is calling out. And he's, he spoke on this almost 2,000 years ago, so this is a prophecy, and we're seeing this fulfilled in America. Many people think that they're right with God, and that they're truly saved, and that they're truly born again. But in essence, what Jesus said is not everyone who does it is going to actually go to heaven. Which means that you that are listening to me, just because you think that you may be a Christian doesn't actually necessarily make you a true Christian because you think that you are. He goes on to say that they want into the kingdom of heaven, but, but then here's how we kind of test the real trueness of a person that's saved. He says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, after they hear him say this, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. God, God prompts me to bring up this topic at the end of this message because of the people that I've had the privilege to work with this last week at my job. I, I, I love my coworkers to death, but, but gosh, golly. I have had some recently worked with some employees at my, at my job this last week, and, and in getting to know them personally, I, I got to revisit my time out on the streets of Dallas uh, years ago preaching Jesus Christ to all the different people that I used to meet on the streets where I would have these conversations 
all the time. Uh, what I mean by this is exactly the topic of this last idea, this last question that I'm asking in this last part of my message. Are you truly a Christian, so saved and born again? Or do you just think that you are? Most of the folks that I mentioned that I worked with this last week really think earnestly with all their hearts that they really love Jesus Christ and that they're truly born again and that they're really saved. And if they died right now, then they'd go to heaven. But sadly, according to the word of God, according to the word of Jesus Christ, they're not. And you may be thinking, well, you're just being judgmental. No, no, no. Jesus told us to use righteous judgment in our lives. Righteous judgment, we'll get to it in a little bit, but he said a good tree won't bear bad fruit, bad tree won't bear good fruit. All those that are basically good trees, they're going to bear those kind of fruits. But those that are the bad trees are not going to bear those good godly types of fruits. And so uh, using my logic and the wisdom God's given me, just looking at somebody's life and listening to them and hearing the things that they talk about, using godly judgment, you can really easily tell who really loves Jesus Christ by the fruit that they're producing in their lives or who really doesn't love Jesus Christ by the unbiblical fruit that they're producing in their lives. So just because you may say or believe with all your heart, according to Jesus in Matthew 7, I'm saved and I'm a born-again Christian and I love Jesus Christ, doesn't necessarily mean that you're one according to the Bible. You're a self-proclaimed Christian. You're a self-proclaimed believer of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a real biblical born-again person according to the standards of God's Word. For you see, you may believe that because you live in a garage, this makes you a car, but it doesn't. Same as just because you profess to love Jesus Christ with your lips only doesn't make you his follower. What makes you his follower? What makes a person saved, born again, uh, is, is your lifestyle resembles the kind of lifestyle that his word says and that he lived. 1 John 2, 3 through 6, we read this. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You see what it meant to know him? Did you read anywhere there that he said, uh, now by this we know we know him if we say we know him? No. John just said, now by this we know we know him. By this we know we're truly saved if we keep his commandments, meaning Jesus Christ's commandments. For many people don't know this, but God had his commandments in the Old Testament. But Jesus Christ gave new commandments in the New Testament. And they weren't of the Old Covenant uh, the Old Testament covenants, they were of Jesus Christ's new covenants that he gave through him, for he came and brought a new covenant to man, right? So this by no we know if we keep Jesus's commandments. Now listen to this. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, so, so doesn't listen to the words of Jesus, doesn't follow Jesus's teachings, doesn't follow the commandments that Jesus laid down. He says, he who says he knows him, and he does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Ouch. And the truth is not in him. So they say that they are. Hey, I know Jesus Christ. I'm saved. But then they don't live the ways that he said to live. John says that you're a liar. Not me. I I just read what John wrote. But, verse 5, whoever keeps his word, meaning lives their lives by the teachings of Jesus Christ, Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him, verse 6, 
He who says he abides in him, so I'm saved, I'm a born-again Christian, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart, ought himself to also walk just as Jesus Christ or he walked. How do you live? What kind of ways do you live in your life? What did Jesus Christ do? What did he teach? (laughs) Number one, he spread God's word. How often do you spread God's word? And number two, he loved and served people with sacrificial hands and actions of love. Number three, he learned and obeyed God's words, meaning that he, God's word says it lays down a way to live, how to love people, how to treat people, how to act kind toward people, how to live in unholy, excuse me, how to live non-unholy ways or, or how to live holy ways, more simplified saying. Number four, he followed God's commands to live the holy life that God expects his children to live. That means that his life was spent, Jesus Christ, abstaining from living or doing or practicing any sinful ways as a way of his normal life that he lived. And number five, he spoke with no profane or or, or, or ugly or foul language. Ephesians 4.29 and 1 Timothy 6.20 says, basically, let no unclean or no, let no profane, idle babble, or, or you could say curse words or foul language or speaking evil of other people. Let none of that come out of your mouth. And so that's how Jesus Christ would have lived. Number six, he kept himself from any kind of sexual sin. He isn't caught up in adultery, which is sex in marriage. He wasn't caught up inside any kind of fornication. He wasn't having sex outside of marriage. He, and he wasn't a homosexual. He, he, he wasn't an idolater. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't a drunkard, meaning he wasn't a practicing alcoholic. And he didn't speak evil of others. Same as Paul said, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He didn't live his life in unrighteousness. He lived his life for righteousness' sake. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean for us today? According to what John wrote in 1 John 2, 3-6, as far as who really is or who really is not a true, saved, born-again person or a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us and, and, and how Jesus Christ lived his life? It means for us today, the true born-again person will uh, they cannot be a practicing homosexual. Uh, God's word says that homosexuals, it, it's, it's, it's a practice sin, same as the other sins that we read off. You can't be a practicing homosexual. You could be a real Christian and been delivered from being a homosexual or an LGBT or a lesbian or whatever you were, but you can't be a practicing one of those. For that, God heaps into the practicing sins of even adultery or even fornication or even lewdness or being an idolater. You can't use profane language, or you shouldn't be using profane language as a true born-again Christian. Again, Ephesians 4.29, 1 Timothy 6.20. That would include also, by the way, and I don't know why most people don't understand this today, but that would also include, God would not want you to listen to music or, or even watch movies with that profane and ugly language and nasty language that comes out of people's mouths. Because here, think of this. If God doesn't want you doing it, now it's one thing to be in the world and be at your job where that's what people do. You can't control people. 
But you can control yourself whether you go to a movie or whether you listen to music with ugly and foul language in it. Language that God and Jesus Christ didn't use and language that even that God doesn't want us to use, even according to the Apostle Paul. So that means not going to movies or listening to music with foul language, with disgusting language, with, with hateful language toward others. What do you do? You will, if you are truly born again, believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven because he said it. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and life, and no man comes to the Father except by me, except through me. You will, if you're really truly born again, this, this revelation will be completely revealed to you. Peter said it. Jesus said, who do, men, who do you say that I am? And you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Christ means that you're the only way to heaven. So if you're saved, you're going to believe that. Number, number, keep going. If you're really truly saved, you'll serve God with some capacity. You'll serve him. You'll preach Jesus Christ, or you'll do some work that he's called you to do for his church and his kingdom. But you're really, all the while, while you're either preaching or while you're living for God or while you're serving him for his kingdom, you're going to be striving to be a light for Jesus Christ by the lifestyle that you live. Which means that you will even drive your car in a godly, holy, loving way. Not cutting people off and making hand gestures. This is for this is not Jesus' commandments. How can you love others and love God, but uh, cut somebody off in a, in a, in a vicious way because you're mad at them because they did something on the road, and then make some nasty hand gestures at them? Ladies and gentlemen, this is not truly a born-again person. If you're truly born again, you'll be, uh, you'll, you'll be able to understand God's word. Uh, you'll be spending time with God in the Bible, listening to God, seeking His direction for your life, seeking in His Word, how do I live? Letting His Word every day change you from the old person that you used to be, because Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old is gone and the new has come. So you're going to be seeking God's Word daily, on a regular basis, to see where God wants you to be, to, to see what God wants you to be doing, to see how God wants you to be living your life. You'll be also spending, God, spending time with God every day in prayer, communicating back to God, you know, talking to Him, asking and seeking His guidance for your life, seeking, Lord, how do you want me to do? What do you want me to do today? How, what do you, where do you want me to go? Lord, I love you. Having a relationship with God. These are just a few of the tests that you can give yourself to see that if you're really truly born again, or if you're not truly born again, if you're not truly a Christian, please test yourself and your lifestyle today. I, I, I beg you, examine your life. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus, Matthew 7, 17, Even so every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. If you're a truly born-again Christian, the good fruits will be your striving to practice obedience to Jesus Christ's words and the keeping of God's words and the striving to live your life uh, uh, in holiness and, and, and leaving unholiness in the dust like Jesus Christ lived and, and the same as all that I've just gone through. Uh, the bad fruits will be that you practice the ungodly ways that I just spoke of just now. The ways that are against Jesus Christ. And the ways that are against the ways that he lived, that he spoke, and that he acted. Won't you please 
ladies and gentlemen. Judge or test yourselves to consider where you truly are with Jesus Christ and with God today. If you find that you're not truly born again saved because the actions and words of your life don't line up with the type of Jesus with the type that Jesus Christ lived and acted in, then God wants you to repent today. God wants you to do what the Bible says is absolutely necessary for being born again, being saved. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted. There's no salvation outside of repentance. Repentance how? What does repentance mean? Repentance as Jesus Christ spoke of in Matthew 16, 24, 25, turning to Jesus Christ and away from self, as the, yourself as the God and ruler and master of your own life. Listen to what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday. That, that means, as I just said, we're born as the ruler and master and God of our own lives. That's, what, that's, that's the free choice that God gives us. We're born with that. And then in order to follow Jesus Christ, in order to be saved, we have to deny that part of ourselves. Deny ourselves. Deny, hey, I am no longer going to be the God of my life. I need the God, the Lord Jesus Christ of all the universe to be my God. So that's number step number one. And that's where most people, that's where most people go astray. They think that their good works are going to get them to heaven. A fellow told me this week, one of the guys that believes he's going to heaven, all roads lead to heaven. If you're a good Muslim, if you're a good Buddhist, if you're a good atheist, if you're just a good person, hey, God's going to accept you when it comes time to get into heaven. Well, that's not what Jesus Christ said, and yet he just wouldn't believe the words of Jesus Christ, yet he still thinks he's born again. He still thinks that he's saved. When the very first thing that anyone is supposed to do to be saved is to deny themselves the very God that they are of themselves that they're born as. Then he says, take up your cross. And then he says, follow me. How can, be, how can you be following Jesus Christ when you don't even believe the simple words that he said out of his mouth, I am the way and the truth and life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If you want your own life now, if you want to rule your life, if you want to be the God of your own life now, well, then you know what? You're going to lose eternal life. You're just not going to have it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you give up your life, if you surrender your life now, if you lay your life down and you turn to Jesus Christ with all your heart and away from yourself as the, as the God that you are of yourself and you give it to Him, then you'll find life, meaning you'll find eternal life. Please surrender to Jesus Christ today. You may not have tomorrow. If you realize you're not truly born again because your lifestyle and actions don't line up with the way Jesus did, remember John First uh, John 2, 4, he says, I know him and does not keep his commandments or his ways is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And if this is you, then in your current state, if you died right now, the bad news is, is God is going to turn you away from eternity with him in heaven. And you'll spend it in hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And this is serious business. Take God's offer of for personal relationship now and eternal life forever in Jesus Christ, please. The way that Jesus Christ said to come to him, though, not in your own way. And I beg of you, please turn to Jesus today and be saved. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, for 
that you give us the way to eternal life. Lord, it's not how we think, Lord, it is our, in our own human understanding, Lord, but it is a way that you gave. And the fact that you gave it, and the fact that you allowed it, allowed us to, to have it, Lord, it shows your love for us. Lord, Father God, we're born as God-hating rebels, and yet you still offer eternal life to God-hating rebels. That's love. Lord, I pray that love today would turn those last people that I was talking to, Lord, those that are right now that maybe thought that they were Christians but realized they're not. I pray that your love would truly turn them to Jesus Christ, to that surrender, to that sweet surrender. Lord, that's what I call it, Lord. It's what you've given me to say. Call it the sweet surrender. Please, dear God, bring people to you. Bring these people to you. Lord, they've got today. They don't know if they have tomorrow. Turn them to Jesus Christ today and get them saved. Thank you, Lord God. We praise you, Lord God. And I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.